Between the Lines with Virtual Academy. We all have a story to tell. Hey, everybody. This is Between the Lines, a podcast where we go beyond the badge to allow members of law enforcement, public safety, and first response a place to tell their stories, talk about the cases and events that have impacted their lives. Welcome in. I'm Brent Henson, one of the show producers of Between the Lines. And before we introduce our guest for today's episode, we do need to welcome our brand new host, who, if you listen to our second behind-the-scenes episode that we released a couple of days ago, you should already know. We welcome him in from his home in Michigan this morning, Mr. Michael Warren. How are you, sir? Buddy, I'm doing good. It's a little stormy here in Michigan, uh, but we're doing good because I'm inside and I'm dry and I'm not directing traffic. So things are good. <laughs> and, you know, uh, you're in Michigan. Our guest is in Michigan and I'm in Tennessee. So I wore my Michigan apparel. I have a Michigan Wolverine shirt on my Detroit Tigers hat. So I am decked out in Michigan gear today. I believe they call that being in sync. Mm-hmm. Michigan's my home state, so I'm ready to hear about some stories from, from back home. I don't know if you know this or not, but Michigan has changed in the, the time since you've left. Oh, I'm, I'm it's sure. a little it's, it's a it's a little bit different. But I'm, yeah, I'm sure it we'll has. do that. Hey, it's a pleasure to have everybody here. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, I want to introduce our, our guest today, if I could, Chief Jared Hart to our listeners. Uh, Chief Hart is with the Dearborn Heights Police Department, and we'll get into his career in just a little bit, but uh, welcome to the podcast there, Chief. Thank Thank you very much. Now, now, Chief, I'm going to go ahead and throw a disclaimer out there. Uh, I'm going to do my best to, to call you Chief throughout the day, but every once in a while, it's going to revert to, to other things. Nothing derogatory, but there may be a Jared or there may be a JH thrown in there, but uh, you're still Chief. Oh, absolutely. No worries on that. I've answered uh, questions and being called uh, many different things throughout my career, like you. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I can remember sitting in a hallway at some point and about to go testify. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Right? <laughs> That's so, it. Hey, but uh, we appreciate you being here today. And uh, as Brent was uh, talking about, this is just an opportunity for people in this profession to be able to tell the stories uh, that we wish we could tell to other people. And and so I guess let, let's start the day off. And this, this is kind of something that in our behind the scenes uh, podcast that we talked about, they asked me, and I'm going to ask you the same question. What was it, however many years ago it was, that made Jared Hart say, you know what? I want to be a law enforcement officer. I, I refer to it as a little kid. I got to turn on the lights and sirens of my granddad's patrol vehicle, and that's what hooked me. What hooked you? That's a great question and a story that I tell a lot of people because this is a passion. It's not just a job, right? This just can't be a job. If it's not your passion, it's not your love. We see so many horrible things and a lot of good things, too. Uh, you know, but uh, for me, it was an officer coming in on a career day. Uh, I grew up just south here of, from Dearborn Heights in Taylor, Michigan, and we had an officer come in on career day and he was dressed real crisp, right, looking super sharp, and came in and talked about how he gets to help people every day. There was no conversations about, you know, getting into altercations at work and having to use force. It was all about opportunities to network with the community, to be a community police officer and make his his hometown a safer place. And for me, I said, that's what I want to do. At that very moment, and from the, the day that I came home from school uh, to the day my mom died she she did not like that guy uh he just retired she my mom made me uh call call our pastor and i had to go to lunch with our pastor and uh get his blessing because you know a lot of people think 
as police officers, we harm others. And that is such a, just the smallest percentage of incidents that we get in. Most of the opportunities that we have are to help people on their worst day. So, But for, for my mom, God bless her soul, she was worried as most moms and dads do for their children, right? She's like, you know, you can't harm anyone. You can't do this. And, and you know, it was, obviously it was a good question because that was probably in 1981, 82. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing this a long time now. Yeah, yes, for, for those millennials who may be listening into the podcast, uh, there were police back in 1981. It yes. may seem like the Wild West, but it wasn't. No. But, uh, uh, Chief, so I, I want to take you back if I could, and, and I recognize that it was probably a, a bit of a ways back in your mind. But if you were to try and describe to somebody what Chief Jared Hart was like as a patrol officer, how would you describe that guy? Because I didn't see in the first few years of your career, but I got to see it later on. So how would you describe that guy? You know, I was uh, I was a high performer and I was just telling an officer the other day, you know, sometimes as a high performer, you haven't perfected that interpersonal piece yet. And I got a lot of complaints. I got a lot of citizen complaints early on as a police officer. And I and I was just befuddled. So and I may have shared this story with you, Mike, but I went out and bought a little uh, mini cassette recorder, a voice activated recorder, and I put it in my pocket because I really wanted to know why I'm getting these citizen complaints, right? So after each traffic stop, I would pull over to the side of the road and I would listen to what I said. And I very quickly learned that it wasn't what I was saying, it was how I was saying it. I was reflecting on how was I standing during this traffic stop or this, this interaction with the citizen? Where were my hands? You know, right now, and I know that probably we'll lose a lot of young listeners on this one, I, I really don't like the external vest carriers. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities for people to stand with their thumbs tucked inside that external vest, and a lot of cops just aren't taught what to do with their hands, right? And, and how that is so very important when we're having interactions with public. So for me, I was a high performer. You know, I arrested a lot of drunk drivers, was mad you know, officer of the years, mothers against drunk driving, a lot of people for B and E. I had a lot of fun at work, but I it wasn't until I could perfect that interpersonal piece, right, and get my shtick down, so to speak, like, hi, my name's Jared Hart. I'm with the so and so police department. Do you know why I pulled you over? Just to start out the traffic stop. No one likes being stopped by the police. Heck, my heart still jumps when I see a cop behind me. I've been doing this over oh, 31 man. years. So, yeah. I have to ask yeah. this, Chief. You had incredible foresight to be proactive enough to take a tape record. This is before body cams, you know, so you're on the cutting edge of doing something that came along later. To, to critique yourself. I don't think I've heard another officer say that. Is that something that you learned from someone else or just came up with the initiative on your own? You know, it just bothered me so much because I think back to the police officer that, that came to career day. The message he sent to me was how important relationships were and being that community resource and helping people, right? And as I was getting out on the road and being productive, becoming a police officer, it really bothered me every time I had to go talk to my boss about another citizen complaint. You know, it bothered me so much that this was the course of action that I, I thought was best because, yeah, we didn't. This was probably, I think, nine years before my first agency put in um, in car cameras. So it was just nothing somebody, you know, it might have been my wife kind of thinking of it now. 
Um, Even if it wasn't, you got to give her credit. You just, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about uh, her a little bit, too, and what I think really is important for police officers to focus moving forward. Man, man I, I tell you what, and that's something maybe the public doesn't really understand, is that a lot of times we have brand new police officers that haven't learned those skills yet. And, and, and it's not for lack of trying. It's not for intent on their part that they're they're being, being abrasive. It's just they haven't learned that yet. And, and just to, uh, to your point about the external vest carriers, you know, yeah. it, it, perhaps what we need to do if we're going to implement in, uh, external vest carriers is have part of the training what to do with your hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so important. And, and you bring up a good point in the sense of my parents bought a place in northern Michigan when I was 10 years old. And I was forced to sit in back of a, a 19, um, you know, 80 something Crown Victoria riding up north and back. I didn't have an iPod. I didn't have a smartphone. Man, when the Walkman came out, I thought that was the best thing since sliced bread, right? I had to listen to their music. I had to talk to my parents. I had to listen about their days, right? And, and how they solve problems at work and so on. Right, right now, what do we have? We have these phones, right? And all these various apps. And we're missing out on the most critical piece of life and socialization. And is that, it? that is our communication and, and interaction with each other, right? So we have to change our mindset a little bit as leaders to say, what are we missing? What is the next generation of police officer missing to be successful in the workplace? And that is that inter, interpersonal piece. And that's something that we struggle with all the time. Absolutely. And so I'm glad you brought up interpersonal because I want to take you to a different part of your career if we could. For those who don't know him, the chief was also an FTO, a field training officer. And so I will ask you the same question I asked you just a minute ago. How would you describe Jared Hart as FTO? Yeah, I think um, just a very straightforward person. We I like to have a lot of fun as we learn. Uh, for me, I think the most challenging part of being an FTO is turning the keys over that squad car, right? No matter how long and how serious I was in the back lot of the police department, when that day came, listen, you know, drive the speed limit, set the example, don't put my side of the car on the danger side, right? Inevitably, you know, five minutes later, we're doing 30 miles and over the speed limit and somebody's clenching the steering wheel. And I'm like, did we get a call I'm unaware of, right? It's like, why? Because we're doing like, if the speed limit's 40, how fast are you going? Oh my God, you know, and then they, they slow down. And I remember one in particular uh, called in as a, a stolen boat. You know, when it's cold and nasty out, it's not even boating season. I'm like, this is probably a repo, right? Coming uh, from the north end of the city where we had a large lake. And I'm thinking, this is a repo. And we're trying to get more information as we're heading to the call. We're on a brand new five-lane road. And the officer's driving. And I'm like, remember, don't put my side on the danger side, right? And it wasn't two seconds later here come over the hill comes the you know a big like f-250 350 pickup truck pulling up pulling this boat and what does he do he just hooks a left right in front of the car and and like blocks the road and, and i'm trying to crawl over into the driver's seat but no we had it we had i hope that uh you know, there, there were times where things obviously had to be serious and, and we just have to be honest. And there are times where uh, sometimes it breaks your heart when there's people that aren't really good FTOs, uh, but the organization puts them in that place and you get somebody and you have to retread them, you know, but then they go on and have great careers. 
you know, it, um, it's, it's funny that those people that you're, you've almost written off, but somehow miraculously that they, they turn things around and, and everything turns out good. Yeah. So, so uh, you, you talked about the communication piece just a minute ago. Part of being an FTO, there's a communication piece that often will get people into trouble. And that's the part where they have to talk on the radio. Yeah. Uh, t- t- tell me your best FTO story involving one of your trainees on the radio, because I just saying I can think think of, of I, myself. Yeah, I know which one you're probably thinking of. <laughs> and uh, it was it was uh, we we're calling out a traffic stop. And uh, instead of saying ocean, the person may have, have said, oh, S-H-I-T <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> So, so those were, those are always fun moments, you know, where that happens. Yeah, were you thinking but, of but, something else? No, no. But two and a half decades later, he's still insisting that he said ocean. Yeah. <laughs> ocean. Yeah. I yeah. like that. He's just, he's going to go all in on it. Yeah. He's going to remain consistent. Yeah. For, for our listeners though, uh, in the state of Michigan, there are no O's <laughs> in license plates. So yeah. we know that to be an untruth. One of the things I, I want to ask you about here, chief, is that you said that our, our, our intent is not to hurt people. And in fact, it's not to hurt people, it's to help people. Right. Uh, But would you agree with me? One of the things that a lot of people aren't prepared for coming in this is that use of force. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's something I think that we all try to prepare for. Right. When it happens, it's kind of like that. I can't believe this is happening right now. And what do you do with the aftermath? Right. And I'd like to think that, you know, in in, in 31 years I've been doing this, we're doing it better today in dealing with the aftermath of the application of use of force, especially in the the significant issues. Right. Uh, So now there's reviews of use of force. We're trying to do early interventions. Is this an issue with, you know, those interpersonal skills that are leading up to a use of force? Or if someone tried to harm the police officer and they had to take lethal force, how do we help them work through that? Right. We're, we're, we're becoming an increasingly young profession because a lot of the people who were hired under the cops grants back in the 90s, uh, they're, they're, they're retiring. Yeah. So we're, we're becoming increasingly young. And uh, I, I don't know if you've read the book or not, but Left to Bang. Yeah, I think yeah. one of the most important officer safety books, uh, they talk about oftentimes we, we, we refer to based on my training and experience. Well, when you base things on your training experience, it's best left to somebody with a lot of training, a lot of experience. Yeah. We're, we've yeah. got people that are. So we had to find ways. But uh, I, I then want to take you a little bit step further, if we could. And uh, you had the the opportunity to be the first SRO in our agency, a true SRO, uh, you were put over in the high school. How was that position for you, especially when you look back at career day and the impact that it had on you? I- I explain to me how that worked for you. Yeah, so that was an interesting program that I had started, and that was a product of Columbine, right? And that was the change of how the police are viewed in our interactions with the school and building uh, relationships with our young adults, our faculty, the parents, right? And having an armed person assigned to the school every day. So I can tell you that, you know, I still have great relationships with some of the students. They'll they'll hit me up on Facebook or they'll give me a call. Some of them, one of them owned a business for a while, dropped something off at my second agency for me, you know, during uh, law enforcement week. And it was really, it was really touching, you know, to have those relationships. It was not the easiest assignment, you know, uh, to say the least that there were a lot of ups and downs, but I, it's interesting in a law enforcement career to see how other leaders conduct themselves. And I still today use lessons that I learned 
from uh, the administrators at the high school that, that came and went during my four years. Uh, one of them in particular was Art Miller, and he said, you're working too hard. I said, what are you talking about, Art? He says, two things. One, you're going to be a chief someday. And I started laughing, right? And then secondly, he said, you know who's dealing drugs. You know who's doing wrong in this school. And I see you around the building kind of keeping an eye on what's going on and, and who's doing what. And let me tell you, from my years of experience in education, just sit back because those people will bubble to the surface and then you deal with them. And it wasn't even a week later, a kid I knew that was, you know, bringing drugs to school and selling drugs is getting a drink out of the water fountain and a teacher's in line behind him. He bends over, gets a drink, stands up, adjusts his pants and a bag of dope falls out. Huh. I'm like, <laughs> haven't found this guy around for like two weeks at school. Yeah. Right. Bubbling to the top. You know, yeah. I think some of the best advice that I've received in my life is not by somebody verbally telling me the advice. It's by observing watching and listening other people and how they conduct themselves. So I think you're right on, on target with that. Yeah, and I have morphed and changed throughout my leadership career too, from probably more of a, a loud, you know, coming in, bull in a china shop, to just trying to lead with love, you know, at this point in my career and saying, hey, listen, you're getting a lot of complaints. Here's what worked for me. Right. And we're going to we're going to talk about how you've been socialized because the fighting piece. Right. And the use of force, Mike, to go back to your uh, a question a couple of minutes ago. We also have to think about not only how our young adults and, and police officers been socialized. What are they being told in school? Right. I mean, violence isn't the answer. You, you know, you fight, you're going to get suspended. All these things that are really controversial topics that we won't we won't get into. Right. On how we feel about that. But when they come into the job and they see violence for the first time and someone's trying to harm them, that's a whole lot of education that has to take place in a very short period of time, because we do know that evil exists right now. Uh, our biggest problem is not stolen vehicles. It's not larceny from vehicles. It's not shoplifting. Uh, the number of assaults and aggravated assaults and stalking complaints far outnumber our part A and B crimes. And I'm willing to bet you can look across other police departments and see that trend. It's how we are failing at conflict resolution in society. And, and Chief, that that is a fantastic point because of the yeah, the position came about because of Columbine because that that fundamentally changed the the law enforcement response to to active killers uh, in a school environment. And, and you and I were part of the training team for that setting up for people, and that evolved. Uh, so so let me ask you this right here: in your position right now, what are your plans? What what are your what are your training aspirations when it comes to responding to that? Because that's in the news right now. Sure. There are all these mass casualty events uh, that our officers had to be uh, be able to respond to. Uh, one recently that, uh, quite honestly, the agency's under a lot of fire for. So, what does Chief Hart want from his people? What does he want from his SROs? As a former SRO, when you look at yours, what do you want from them? Yeah. I want them to be great communicators, great guest speakers, uh, counselors. I did a lot of counseling as an SRO, right, informally with some of the students. But when it's time, I need you to flip that switch, right? If someone comes into that school to harm somebody, I, I have a plan as the chief of police right now, right down outside of my office downstairs is my car. And that thing is suited up and ready to rock and roll right? I myself will go there and we're going in, 
right? And, and, and we're not going to second guess, right? You know, some of the stuff that we see in the media. Relatively new here. I started on February 28th, but I'm very pleased to hear the training that they've done. Now, you and I both know we had a large mall in our, our uh, first careers, and we trained a lot there. And it wasn't until we started getting into those those drills and we had role players screaming you know behind a door in a corridor at this mall could you see the fear in those young police officers faces and they they bottlenecked until i screamed at them somebody's being murdered in there get your you know what down that hallway and then they went in right because you're trying to overcome the flight aspect we have you, to. What, you mean the human aspect, right? Yes. Because, yes. because that, that's the human reaction. Yeah, right? that's it. And that's part of, you know, um, what we'll probably get to in a little while with the health concerns for police officers. Right. It's that it's that fight or flight that we deal with up and down. Right. That causes this hypervigilance, the cortisol, the poor sleep and a lot of other stuff we'll probably get into. But, yeah. How do we train to overcome that? in a society, right, where we're trying to get people not to put hands on each other. But we know that those people exist that put hands on other folks. It's that dichotomy. You know, yeah. it's just when you're training people, you want them prepared for the bad guy behind the bush, but we don't want them thinking there's a bad guy behind every bush because right. it's a very thin line between being prepared and being paranoid. Yeah. So, so after that, you became a detective. And yep. uh, I'm just going to throw it out there that you were a heck of a good detective. I wonder if you could just quickly relate to us the the, the Golden Oaks robbery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. because you don't have to tell all the investigation stuff, but, but right. the, kind of the climax of it was, was fantastic. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that one. You have an excellent memory. I do know that, head, buddy. That, <laughs> that, the, uh, that the owner of the business was uh, attacked as she was starting to open up the store. Uh, she was hit on the head with uh, a weapon, split her head open. We get the call. We go there, uh, do an investigation, um, look at our records. What kind of calls have we received in this area You know, over the last couple of weeks? And we find out that there are some suspicious vehicles that were called in. So we were able to track that vehicle down to a neighboring community, did some search warrants, uh, got some phone records. That was kind of right on the cusp of being able to get into those towers, right? And start mapping out a suspect's phone. Were they in the area? And then you could start, if you have really good tech people like yourself, you can map out as uh, a group of people are planning something and then they're driving to the scene and then, and then when they leave. Uh, we did a lot of search warrants on that case. And a couple of people were uh, were obviously convicted of that, but you're probably talking about one of the search warrants we did, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and one of our undercover officers at the time were in the raid van, and everybody's listening to the high end music and you know getting amped up to go do this search warrant in another community. And the first guy out of the van is running towards the house. The second one out was our guy, and he ran right into a tree. Uh, <laughs> And bounced off, and we get in the house, and we secure the house, and you're talking about the bedroom scene, right? Oh, yeah. yeah well, you, you tell it, because you have a better memory. Well, well I'm telling you, the, the, first of all, we, we had to get into this house quick, because every time we'd gone by doing our, our surveillance, and there were a ton of people on the porch, and so um, the chief was doing the uh, the briefing, goes, hey, listen, we got to get out, we got to get up there quick, we got to secure the people on the porch, and sure enough, man, our dude hit that tree, and it was like, stack up, back, 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 back. 
bat right up against yeah. each other. But we get in and we're, we're clearing the house and, and I was in a different part of the house, but uh, the chief related a story to me. He goes, Mike, there was this bunk bed. And on this bunk bed, there happened to be this girl. She was probably 12 or 13 years old. Despite the racket, she was dead asleep. Dead asleep. Yeah. And, and he had to go up there and he goes, <laughs> I tapped her on the shoulder. And she rolled over and she opened the eyes. And all she could see was this big, bald-headed dude standing there. And he just described the look in her eyes. And you're not trying to scare her because she's a kid. When you wake up like that, it changes one's perception of the day. But uh, I, I tell you what, that, that, that case right there, uh, the chief did some fantastic work, put some really bad guys away for a while. But but because of who he is and how he is, uh, not long after that, he got promoted to sergeant. How would you describe Jared Hart as a sergeant on day one compared to Jared Hart as sergeant on last day as a sergeant? Yeah, I think that uh, patience, right? is I was a, a not a very patient supervisor on the first day, right? And then you realize quickly that not everybody sees the world as you do. They have different perspectives. They have different work ethics. At that point, you're starting to learn that art of getting work done through others, right? Supporting them, holding them accountable. We, we had cell phones that really became popular about that time. I, I think they're cool. But you know what? I remember as a kid, my mom went to the grocery store. You know, if you didn't put something on the list, she didn't buy it. <laughs> now we walk around the grocery store and people are all on the phone. You know, they're on headphones. There's no disappointment. Man, I forgot to put Pringles on the on the grocery list, right? Now you just call or text whatever you need when they're there. So I think that that is kind of what the point I'm making is that's the easy button, right? So that was my first my first kind of education in most of us got through our career by making the best decision on the, on the available information, right? You feel that little tinge of uncomfortableness, right? In, inside of your stomach, like, man, I, based on the information, this is what I'm going to do. Well, then it became, I'm just going to call. I'm just going to call the sergeant. I'm out on a call. I don't know what to do. It's things that someone should know what to do, right? And I had to get in the habit of saying, make a decision based on the information that you have and then hang up the phone. And that might seem a little harsh, but we have to have people that are making decisions absent, you know, uh, being able to call their boss and, and get, and there's certainly things that you want people to call you on, right? The things that were, were being called in were very common things that we deal with every day. And I think the other message in there is by the time my sergeant's career had, had come to an end and I became a lieutenant, it was, we have to learn to value mistakes because uh, especially with our younger generation police officers, when someone makes a mistake, it's apocalyptic. They're hard on themselves, the organization. I mean, there are some mistakes that are obviously, right? We, we have to, to deal with head on. But most mistakes, there are those teachable moments. And that's where I, I pull on my SRO experience is that's, the, that's what they did. They learned. They used it as a teachable moment. How can we not repeat this mistake? How can we get this person to grow? And that is a great point. And I talked about it a lot in classes that I've taught. I think law enforcement needs a culture where it's okay to fail. And yeah. I come from the, you and I were very similar, I think, in personality, especially earlier in our careers. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is when you, when you have that go, 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 
you're going to make mistakes. And, yeah. and uh, from the training side of things, we always tell people, hey, listen, if you're going to fail, we want you to fail where? In training. Yet when right. they fail in training, what do we do? We ridicule them. We make fun of them. So what, what we're saying is that we don't want you to fail. <laughs> right. And so you're absolutely absolutely spot on right there because they, they everybody talks about how you know experience is the best teacher what's only the best teacher you get feedback and you learn from that failure so that's a great point at virtual academy we're helping our clients build better prepared public safety professionals by offering high level training provided by engaging national experts with hundreds of hours of training available instantly virtual academy offers the functionality your officers need so they can train as their schedules permit. Find out how Virtual Academy can meet the needs of your agency today. Visit virtualacademy.com for a complete list of courses, training resources, and more. Virtual Academy, because you deserve more. I want to take you if I could, because you got promoted to lieutenant, and then you became an assistant chief, and now you're the chief of police in your second agency. And uh, a lot of people have this belief that as you rise up that chain of command, that things get easier. But uh, you had something happen to you physically uh, here recently that I was hoping that you could tell the listeners about. And then we can discuss that. Yeah. So um, what I didn't do was I didn't listen to Kevin Gilmartin. Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, the author of uh, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement, right? That guide for officers and their families. I was over-invested in work. You know, you work shift work, you get called in the middle of the night, your sleep's horrible, you're eating crap because you're on shift work. You don't have time to sit down for great meals, right? And I had a lot of Eustace, which is one of Dr. Gilmartin's favorite thing to talk about, right? I used to fish, I used to go up north and go snowmobiling with my dad, whatever it is, right? So, uh, Around January of 2021, I started to lose some weight uh, significantly. And another thing Dr. Gilmartin talks about in his presentation is how cops know more than their doctors, right? <laughs> and uh, he talks about the guy that was having the heart attack and you know some major issues. Well, that's me, and I'm afraid to go to the doctor, right? I'm losing weight, I'm tightening my belt up a couple notches, I'm exhausted, I have brain fog, uh, I can't concentrate, and I'm losing weight and I'm urinating all the time. And I'm like, Jesus, I got cancer, right? So I take it to the worst thing. So finally my wife looks at me, she's like, you gotta go to the doctor. I'm like, I don't wanna go. She's like, if you have something wrong with you, we gotta deal with it, right? So I go to the doctor and true to form about being over-invested in work, it's like 9.30 at night, I'm writing policies in my three season room and my, my health app goes off. And I'm like, oh, and I had had some, I've been to the doctor, I had some, some tests that were, I was waiting for the results to come back on. And I get notified via my health app that uh, I have type two diabetes. Uh, my A1C is like 9.6, which is really not good. And the direction is I've called in a prescription uh, for this medicine, take this medicine, call the, the, the dietitian, and uh, good luck. Right. I, just so everyone, it is now what, uh, June 16th, uh, 2022. I have not talked to my doctor since that night. Wow. I, I've, I've sent him a couple messages back and forth on the app. Right. To me, it was devastating. He, he could have told me I had a terminal illness. Right. Because I was so mad at myself and I did this to myself and I knew better. So, yeah, it was a pretty devastating moment. And I started, I went into research mode. And a couple of days later, I'm sitting by uh, a campfire in a campground. 
I'm like, you know what? Everybody likes to hear you were right. So I had uh, Dr. Gil Martin's uh, information from uh, the training classes that we held at our previous agency, Mike. And, and uh, I sent him a text and I said, everything that you said would happen to me. And of course, he wasn't speaking to me. He was speaking to all of us, right? It's happened. You were right. And he types me right back. Hey, I'm fishing on a river in Utah, right? How serious are you about reversing this without medicine? And don't be too hard on yourself. It's a product of law enforcement, right? So I'm like, man, this guy, I can't believe he'd respond to me, you know, why he's out fishing. And I said, I'm deadly serious. I don't want to take medicine. If I did this to myself, I think I can get myself out of it. So the next thing you know, I'm talking to uh, Dr. Jim Greenwald out of Reno, and he has developed some uh, really cool testing. Him and Dr. Gilmartin had been working together. They've created a blood panel specifically for police officers where it's their hope that this will be standardized. And, and of course, they're slick. You know, it's great marketing. All of these numbers are, are like a traffic light. It's, it's red, yellow, green, right? Well, I had a lot of red when I went and had this blood panel done. It was a, it was a pretty scary time. And there, come a, there came a point where I had to make a de- decision, right? I talked to the dietitian, very traditionally trained dietitian, and she wanted me to eat an incredible amount of carbohydrates every day, you know, with each meal and take this medicine. And she says, I could tell by the look on your face, you don't want to do this. I said, I don't. I feel like I'm telling you I'm an alcoholic. I'm addicted to food, right? I'm addicted to carbohydrates. My lifestyle's horrible. I'm going to change all that. But it's basically like saying, instead of drinking a case of beer every day, just drink a 12 pack. Right. So she, she didn't look happy when I said that. And, uh, I had a blood test shortly thereafter. I did this police panel and just in a few weeks of living this lifestyle, it's a a high fat, low carb diet. Everything that she said would happen to my liver didn't happen. My liver became cleaner. It was leaner. The triglyceride numbers, instead of being triple digits, and I'm talking like well into the 200, high 200 triple digits, were down to in the 80s. So all these significant changes that she said, you know, I'd be harming my body by doing this. And, and I started looking into how we were designed, right? And looking at the nutrition advice that we get from the government. And that's when obesity in America really started to take off because the food pyramid really is upside down, right? And it's not easy. I'm going to tell you right now, everything, when you detox, I mean, sugar really is a drug. And and we look at how many good things in life surround it, right? Birthday cake, anniversary cake, cupcakes, you know, the, the, the cereals in the morning. What I thought I was doing when I thought I was eating better was actually making my problem worse because of the way our bodies are designed to, to handle that our metabolic process, right, is the breakdown and storage or use of energy. And it, it's been a, a, an incredible transformation. I, I went from 264 pounds down to 202, and I'm about 207 right now. Well, well look, 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 can I just ask you a question about what yeah, you said just yeah. a minute ago? Uh, because you said when you found out that what, what, what made you mad was that you did this to yourself. Yeah, yeah. Would it be safe to say that it wasn't something you did the week before? Or the month before, it was what you did the career before. Oh yeah, and because it's not just your diet. I mean, there are other things that affect it. Your sleep patterns. Yeah, and you know that's one of the things in law enforcement. We do noble things. It's a noble job. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. And we justify going without sleep and working all the extra hours because we're doing something good. But it has long term. Because what what are some of the long term effects? 
that, that, that come about from the sleep disorders and the poor diet and the lack of exercise? What, what are some of the long-term post-retirement issues that law enforcement officers face? Yeah, I mean, sleep is important. And, and here's one of the things I can tell you for sure, because we all like to look at data, right? We input all this information. We have somebody blow into a breathalyzer and then we get the results back. So what I'm doing is I'm using my blood test results kind of like that, right, to analyze what's going on. As I start to work with this process in a, in a group called VIRTA, it's V-I-R-T-A, and anyone really interested in kind of understanding this lifestyle uh, should look at a TED Talk by Dr. Sarah Hallberg. That was kind of my my first peek at what this lifestyle is like. And Greedy says, we got to test your wife. And I said, why? He goes, because obviously you're living together, she's cooking, she's doing all these things, and, and my wife's a fantastic cook, right? So we went, she did the blood test, and instead of the reds, a lot of red and some yellows, she had one yellow. And he calls on the phone. My wife doesn't exercise regularly, right? She's been blessed with good genes, but there is something that she has done her whole life that has never wavered, and that is her sleep. Hmm. Every night at 7.30, she takes a shower. She blow dries her hair for the first time at 8, and then at 8.15, does it again. She's in bed at 8.30. She reads for a half hour and you could set your watch to hearing that little lamp on the nightstand click off and she goes to bed and she's even doing this. She now uh, has a remote work job and she is living that lifestyle even now that she doesn't have to get up and go to work early in the morning, you know, drive to work, do the commute. Sleep is really related to so many different aspects of our health. It's crazy. I had a sleep apnea machine. That thing's that thing's been mothballed. To just a uh, uh, piggyback on that, there was a guy that we work with uh, that literally worked midnights his entire career and he was successful at it because he stayed on a midnight schedule even on his days off and in fact i'm, I'm not so certain that he's not still on a midnight yeah. schedule even all these because you get weird pictures from him you know in the middle of the night of the train tracks but but the thing is though as we wrap this part up right here the physical aspect is incredibly important but all those things also go to impact your decision making don't they Absolutely. I can tell you and anyone that's listening right now, I've never had more energy. I've never thought clearer and made better decisions in my life. Right now, I have so much more balance to my life that I'm not overloading my body with these carbohydrates. It's an incredible thing. Sleep's very important. And here's something that might grab everybody's attention right now, because we do deal with these folks every once in a while when they're missing in our community. Type 3 diabetes is Alzheimer's. Now, I'm sure there are many, many factors, environmental and hereditary, right, that play a factor in Alzheimer's. But type 3 diabetes is Alzheimer's, and that scared the hell out of me. And if you really want to know what kind of problem we have in this country with diabetes, do an Internet search and look at how many dialysis clinics there are. Because if you don't get a hold of this and get, get yourself healthy and, and limit those carbs, and get off this medicine, it's a very real possibility you can end up in a dialysis clinic. I'm failing at retirement, but when I do ultimately retire, I want to travel the country and I don't want to plan that travel around where those dialysis clinics are. And again, this is type two diabetes, right? This is something that we generally do to ourselves. So the folks that have type one, you know, this isn't about them. This is, this is totally different. And, and police officers, we are far more susceptible because of the hypervigilance, uh, the poor sleep, the poor diet. 
Well, and I wanted to ask you a question, uh, Chief. Uh, looking over Dr. Gilmartin's plan, he you know he cites goal setting and uh, exercise and trying to get out of that hypervigilant police role. Based on the story you told earlier, you seemed very focused and good at being uh, self-aware of your situation. So you can manage that. You you have the determination and will and, you know, the overall gusto to do it. But how do you tell somebody, officers or just, just regular Joes on the street, how do they do it? If they don't have that, that self-discipline, how can they... How can they follow through with this? Because it's something that not just officers, everybody deals with this situation. Sure. And I think, and that's a great question. And that's something that Dr. Greenwald, Greeny, as he's called, and the folks at Verda and I have been working on. And right now their goal is they care so deeply about our police officers across this country is that they're using people like me to share the world because cops trust other cops. If they can see and hear my experience, and understand how deeply troubling this is for our profession and then our communities as well. Would you have built a law enforcement officer who is one day going to be a retiree? They're on health care from that community. You can expect that those health care costs are going to go up. So this also turns into a wellness piece about getting police officers, allowing them to work out on duty, talking to them about nutrition, talking, can we raise uh, salaries, right, and cut down on the overtime. I want my officers to be home with their families, not coming into work overtime. I want them to be home with their families and restore those relationships and live a long, healthy, happy retirement where they're not sick. My dad used to say all the time, I don't know why they call them the golden years. And I said, why is that, Dad? He goes, all I do is go from one doctor or specialist to the other. I'm in the hospital for a while. I'm out. Right. And I find the things that I criticized my dad for doing, he was right. I'd get my dad out of a, a local hospital here, not far from where my office is. And he, the first thing he'd want is a big old greasy hamburger. And I'm like, man, you are good. Mom is going to really be mad at me. Right. She's going to know we went to your little hamburger stand. What he was craving, what his body was telling him. He needed the fat. It's not the bun that's good for you in the burger, but it's the fat that's in the beef, right? So all those things that I was judgmental on, and, and we talk about the fat because everything, and a lot of our food products go to the grocery store and look at what the carbohydrates and the syrups are being put in. It costs me a lot more money to eat clean than it does if I were just go carb out. What's being stripped out of the food is the fat. It's a false message. And they're putting sugars and other things in it to make it palatable to us. In my coffee this morning, I had a square of butter and heavy whipping cream. I haven't put half and half or anything else in a, in a cup of coffee since the day I talked to Dr. Gilmartin and, and uh, the folks at Verda. I want to point out that this is a societal issue. I mean, we see it more more frequently in law enforcement because of the schedules and the work and that type thing. But it's a society issue. Appreciate the fact that you're willing to share your story yeah. so that uh, somebody else is is hopefully going to learn from it and they don't end up like so many people in society do. As we're, we're wrapping up the session here, I do have a couple questions for you. I'm going to put you on the spot and it's because I'm a dork. Okay, uh, we established that uh, early on. If you could go back and you could recommend one book to Jared Hart when Jared Hart was day one in the police academy, what book would that be? Boy, there are a lot of great books out there. But I have to tell you, at this point in my life, without a doubt, it's the emotional survival for law enforcement officers and their families. And, and there's a revised edition out there. Look, 
I'll be very honest with you. I look at Dr. Gilmartin saved my life. Right. And I, and I've told him that I've called and, and I've said, I want to thank you. You took my, my text message. You pointed me in the right direction and I'm, I'm going to pay you back by sharing the good work right that you've done and i just about everybody i know that works for me gets a copy of this book right and a lot of people come back that have been through divorces and some other turbulence in their life and it's like they're like it's almost like this guy wrote this book about me seriously it's a biography yeah yeah and and they're and they all say my god i wish i read this book when i was in the police academy or first became a police officer it's that powerful. Yeah, and I want to throw it out there. It, it, that book is not only for the officer, but the officer's loved ones. Yes. Uh, because Joe Lee is a heck of a lady. We need that support system. So, yeah. so then question number two, you, you've been very successful in your career. Uh, at, at every stage in your career, you have been one of the top performers in, in each of those. If you were going to recommend a book for somebody that wanted to get to where you're at right now, What's the one book you would recommend to them? Ooh, that's another tough one. And I'm trying to remember the name of the book. I'll think of it in a minute, but it's about communication. What's his name? He's Arresting you know, Communication by yes, Jim Glennon? Yes, yes. That's the other book that, that I've ordered mass quantities of to share because we talked about that early in the podcast, right? Uh, thanks for remembering the name of that book, Mikey. That is a very important uh, book as well. And we hosted him at our first agency, right? And, and filled up a very large... Uh, auditorium for people to come out and speak about how important the communication is in our job. And, and the beautiful thing is both of those books have implication not only professionally, but personally. Yeah. They, they make you not only better police officers, better first responders, they make you better people. Yeah. But yep. uh, Chief, I, I certainly appreciate you being here today. Uh, Brent, I, I will tell you this, buddy. I, I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to head down to my pantry and start reading some labels. Uh, because <laughs> It's a good message that he's sending, for sure. I, I'm telling you, man, it, it's one of those concerning things because all of us work so hard to get to that, 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 that point in our life where we can say, I'm retired. I yeah. don't even know what day of the week it is. And yet when we get there, it's not what we thought it was going to be. But I, yeah. I appreciate that message. Uh, Brent, man, I tell you what, I, I've got a lot to think about, buddy. Yeah, and I, I want to just share real quickly, uh, Chief Hart, is it's a proactive thing because I talked to him on the phone yesterday. And he sounded very busy. But one of the things that struck me is when before I hung up, he said, I need to go do some family time. So he has to prioritize things in his life. And I think that's one of the main takeaways is you have to be on the proactive side. So Chiefs, seriously, yeah. thank you for sharing your story. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the opportunity to share. And, and Mikey, great to see you. Glad to be a part of this. Yeah, it's good seeing you. We appreciate you guys listening in. And and, and, and Mike, we appreciate you uh, having you on the podcast as, uh, as our host going forward. It's it was a great episode today. And we encourage you guys to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. We've got all those on our website, along with links to our social media accounts and even an email section where you can uh, get in contact with us if you've got a story to share. And you can find that all on our website at Between the Lines with virtualacademy.com. Thank you so much, Chief. And Mike, we'll, uh, we'll see everyone next week.